Good morning. This past week we saw a renewal of unrest in the Holy Land, something that Christians should be thinking about as we turn our hearts toward Jerusalem in these days of Advent. One of Knox Church's partners in mission is the Jerusalem International YMCA. Our recent campaign for tomorrow supports a preschool and other children's programs at the Jerusalem Y that intentionally serve both Arab and Jewish children and their families. This week, the Jerusalem Y posted the following statement. What can we say to our communities when some are celebrating and others are grieving, some are ecstatic and others angry? This. We promise to remain a place for everyone. We promise to remain yours, and yours, and yours. We promise to welcome all who want to meet and get to know each other. We promise to know those who, we promise to welcome those who are not yet ready to meet, but hope and will work toward a day when they will be. We promise to continue to find ways of bringing them all together if and when they are ready through preschool education, events, activities, art, music, drama, and of course sports, we promise to continue to find ways of bringing everyone to the same place. Come, help us foster and develop mutual respect and peaceful interaction between all Jerusalem communities. People of Knox Church, your generosity makes possible Efforts like these that support peace. Thank you for your support of peace in a land that we and so many others call holy. Let us pray. O God, in this holy season of Advent, help us to ask how we are preparing our hearts and the living of our lives for the coming of Jesus Christ. Open us to the meaning in your mysterious ancient texts. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I was reading an article this past week about ghost ships washing up on the beaches of Japan. They are fishing boats. They are always in miserable seagoing condition, usually found either with no crew at all or containing the remains of fishermen, and the boats are no doubt from North Korea. The Japanese are unsure from one boat to the next if the passengers are refugees or if they are spies or thieves or kidnappers. There is precedence for all of the above. In any of those cases, it is a tragic story about people who live in repressive and desperate conditions most of us can only imagine. I read the article on my computer. I'm sure that those of you who read your news online have had an experience like the one I had when I read this article. Halfway through my reading of this tragic story, 
a pop-up window appeared in the middle of the screen. It pictured a pair of cufflinks made of silver and gold costing several hundred dollars with the Christmas message written in large letters, Objects of Desire. What an incredible disconnect. These two things just do not go together. How can you make sense of it? Christian people believe that we are created by a God who loves us all equally, who looks upon all of us as precious children, who creates every one of us with compassion and care. But across the globe and right here in our own city, some of God's children are born with tremendous resources and opportunities, while an incredible number of God's children live in desperate conditions with little to no hope of escape. While some are dying adrift in fishing boats, others are shopping for cufflinks. This is our world. One of the things journalism does is to remind us that there are people in the world who are different from us. Other people who live with a very different set of challenges than the ones we face or even are aware of. We need these reminders. They should draw up inside of us a real object of desire, the desire to reach out to people who are in need, to understand differences, to act to improve the lives of others. The story of Christmas can be read in this same way. It is a story of great celebration in the face of a world where there is great suffering. Christmas is a celebration. Of course it is, and for good reason. Long before the trees, decorations, songs, and presents, there was something about this story well worth celebrating. God comes into the world to be near us for no greater reason than to demonstrate that we are loved, that the one who created us has not forgotten us, understands our suffering, and hears us when we pray. When Jesus was born, it was such good news that everyone from lowly shepherds to mighty kings took notice and came to see the child. But before any of that celebrating happens, there is this time. This time we know as Advent. And during this time we read another set of stories. Stories about John the Baptist and the prophets of the Old Testament. Their stories remind us why Jesus' arrival was celebrated in the first place. Because he was an answer to generations of prayers. Prayers of people who knew all about the suffering of the world and who wanted the world to change. John the Baptist was a renegade preacher. He wasn't at all a part of the religious establishment or the status quo. His pulpit was a riverbank in the middle of nowhere. His clergy robes were animal skins. He was imprisoned because the king objected to his sermons, and his sermon topics 
were repentance and the forgiveness of sins. He talked to people about changing their lives so that they could change their world. The change he spoke of had to do with a call for justice and peace, a call the Old Testament prophets had been voicing for hundreds of years. The Gospel of Mark introduces John the Baptist this way. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John is the messenger. He prepares the way for Jesus, and he's picking up on words the prophet Isaiah said a long, long time before. So if we want to understand what John the Baptist means, the logical thing to do is to return to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was written over a long period of time. Most scholars believe that it is the work of two or perhaps three different authors. It spans the century or so in the history of Israel when Jerusalem and its temple was destroyed and the people went into exile in Babylon. The prophets all agree that this collapse of Jerusalem came as a, the, a result of the people's disregard for God's justice. God's commands to care for the poor and the vulnerable and the disarray of their society that was the result. The first part of the book of Isaiah tells the sad story of the departure from Jerusalem. The second part is about the hope that they will one day return to their home. And the third part is about what it's like when they finally come home. The passage we read today comes from the middle of the book. It voices the very beginnings of hope that the people may one day return to their home, and it is the part referenced by John the Baptist. It is Isaiah's vision of how things need to be different when they go home. A voice cries out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And Isaiah continues, Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is a story about hope. God has a vision, Isaiah says, of a world where valleys are lifted up and mountains are brought low. This world is a level place where all of God's children know that they are loved and everyone has a chance at a good life. Isaiah describes this same vision elsewhere. He describes it in words that you may recognize from Christmas's past. Let me read a few of them to you. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you, O Lord, have broken. For a child has been born to us, a son given to us, authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continuously, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness. Isaiah continues, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners. For thus says the Lord, I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, but the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. We read these words every year during Advent because this vision is what Christmas is all about. Isaiah's world and also John the Baptist's world into which Jesus was born, these worlds were not so different from ours. In that world, for many folks, there were things in life worth celebrating and life was good, but for far too many others, life was dangerous and uncertain and filled with unimaginable trouble and injustice. And the comfortable folks in the world had largely forgotten about them. John the Baptist stands on a riverbank wearing an animal skin and preaching about change because even the religious establishment had largely forgotten about the struggles of real people. So he reminds them of the words of the prophet Isaiah from ages ago and says, this is the work Jesus is coming to do. The birth of Jesus is celebrated precisely because of the hope it promises to people who are suffering. Telling the story of Christmas in this way is not about causing feelings of guilt or shame as you begin your Christmas celebrations. Quite to the contrary. If you are among the more fortunate people in the world, and if you are troubled by all of the suffering out there, telling the story this way is supposed to help you make some sense out of that and think about what you might do. The Christmas story told honestly addresses that question of what we should do, living in this world that involves both great joy and tremendous suffering. Jesus' life takes the joy and the suffering of the world and finds a way to hold them together in a life. In the Bible, Jesus' life happens around dinner tables, 
where friends join together and celebrate what they share. Jesus' ministry happens in conversations where he helps people discover their deeper purpose in life. Jesus' ministry... (coughs) Excuse me. Jesus... Thank you. Jesus' ministry (coughs) happens... Jesus' ministry happens in moments of forgiveness where he relieves people of shame and guilt that had been burdening them. Jesus knew about joy and he knew that there were things in life that were worth celebrating. But that's because he devoted himself fully to loving and serving other people and to alleviating as much suffering in the world as he possibly could. And that's the message we should hear as we celebrate his birth, as we celebrate all of the wonder that comes into the world with the love of God in Jesus Christ. You see, receiving God's love in your own life means being inspired to give it away. God's wisdom to us is always dialectical in this way. It it gives us something and it expects a response. Mercy comes through justice. The experience of forgiveness always happens along with a willingness to change. This give and take makes sense to us because we know how much of life works this way. Growth often involves some pain. Triumph comes from hard work and sacrifice. Love only thrives in the presence of real commitment. And living well means managing these tensions. So in the midst of your Christmas preparations, we here at church we'll continue to share the story of Advent. We will introduce into this season of celebration news of the ghost ships that are sailing through the wintry seas of our world. We will encourage you in generosity in the midst of your Christmas shopping. We will talk about the importance of justice as we welcome the love of Christ We will do this because Christian people are called to see the connection between receiving the love of God and giving it away.